Hello and welcome to Rusted Junk. It's spooky time again. So yes, it's the Halloween episode. That was very bad. Probably not scary at all. Um, but I am joined, as some of you may be able to see if you're watching on YouTube. Get the sneak peek before I announce that it's Dom. Um, who who did Nightmare on Elm Street last year? Last year. I know. I know. And, I was and, looking and, up on my notes. And prepare. now you are firm, firmly... In, you know, firmly um, doing the, the the Halloween podcast every year, amongst many others, but definitely the Halloween podcast is yours and mine. So, as, as always, I'm honoured to be here, and yeah, I do think that horror uh, is a criminally underrated genre. Whether this film is underrated or not, we will we will discuss well, in a few minutes. But uh, we, we will we'll, we'll get yeah. to that. Um, I, I do love a good horror film, so it's my favourite time of year. I do love a good horror film. I wish I watched one. Anyway. Um, the, we are covering uh, the 1981 sequel to Halloween, obviously keeping with the, uh, the the theme of this season on Rusted Junk. So the sequel we're doing, it ain't three, it ain't four, but we're doing Halloween 2, uh, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance, Charles Cyphers. There's a reason why I mentioned him. We'll get to that. Jeffrey Kramer uh, and Lance Guest. Yes, you heard it. Heard it right. Anyway. Let's kick it off. Here's the trailer. I shot him six times. I shot him in the heart. He's not human. Universal Pictures presents Halloween 2. More of the night he came home. Who is it? Nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason, that wasn't even remotely human. <laughs> Some kind of a joke? I've been trick or treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. <laughs> Janet, go tell Mr. Garrett we're having trouble with the phones. There is no place to hide. He will always find you. What's this? It's a Celtic word. It means the Lord of the Dead. So I'm sorry if you've watched that and not listened to it. 
we ought to put a warning on on these things. And I, I need to probably retro. I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to retro go and record the start bit again. But if you've watched that trailer, not only is it a poor trailer, but it just gives away a lot of stuff that's unnecessary. Um. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, can I start I, I, with? The- I think I think massively building suspense is, isn't key to this uh, this film. Well, do you know what I think? I need to start with an apology to you. I think because, dear listeners, um, when we when Dom, I said Dom, look, it's your show. It, you know, it's your give give me. You, you watch more horror than I do. So give me what what it is that you think we should do. It's got to be a sequel and it's got to be an 80s film. So things were bandied around. I think, I don't think anyone mentioned Critters 2. Somebody mentioned that the other day and I went, that's not a horror film. No, no, not horror at all. Um, Fright Night 2, again, not really horror. And and I think you, you decided on Evil Dead 2. Um, and I didn't know, I, there's no overruling in this. I think I just guided you more towards Halloween. Um, simply because it's in, you know, the, the the new film's out at the moment. Oh, my. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We should have done Evil Dead 2. But, you know. I think, I think The Fly 2 was, was, my, uh, was my, my my top choice for this. Uh, this the Fly film. was the other one, yeah. Uh, and I was like, do you know what? And I passed up an Eric Stoltz. I, I moated Eric Stoltz. Regular listeners. I, I don't know what's going on with me. I really don't. So... Anyway, well, with that precursor, <laughs> I think I, I think I know where this is going. Um, Dom, what did you, you, what, did well you think the, what did you think of the well, film? Do, do you not do you not want to take take the take the ball and run with it from there? Are you not going to share with us your your scores and your review? Okay, well, I'll I'll admit that out of I, I, you know when we talk about the, the the sort of holy trilogy of characters the seventies and eighties, you're looking. Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, and Freddy Krueger. Um, and I always, I always preferred the... I, I did always prefer Halloween, or I thought I did, despite the fact that I do like the Freddy... I like all of them. I, I like all of the films, including Jason X, where Jason goes into space. Um, I even like that. But I think, yeah, file this one under rose-tinted glasses, because while the original Halloween film is... De- you know damn near perfect this isn't <laughs> and uh it's i don't think it's a i don't think it's a worthy sequel at all and 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 i'm sorry i'm gonna have to give it a four <laughs> oh. it's just there's so much there's so much wrong with it and 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 now it makes me even more nervous because i i am gonna because i've just watched the new one so i can i can talk a little bit about that but it makes me so nervous to go and watch four and five and and the others. Because apart from the, the latest trilogy, I don't know what I'm going to expect. Because I, I I I remember Halloween too as being really good. Yeah. When, when was the last time you scored something as low as four? Would it be Witches of Eastwick? Um what, what did you what did you give that? I think I gave that a five. No, it no, I think we all went low and Man went high. I think it might have been Witches of Eastwick. Mm. And no, if you're listening, Amanda, this is not any sort of um, getting back. <laughs> you're getting, I don't know, sort of like revenge 
or something like that. It's not. I know you don't like horrors, so, but I've, I found myself going, I'm seeing more, more total inaccuracies. And I know that you can look through all of them and can go, oh, that never happened. Oh, that never happened. But it's almost about how it's all set up. And that's the bit I find incredulous. But anyway, we'll get to that. Here we go. Now, now, now we get to, now we get your view. Yeah, so it's going to be an eight. <laughs> so I am, you know, I am a big fan of the horror genre. So I'm, I'm definitely more positively inclined towards this film and films like this than perhaps you are. And and I do like these early horrors and the template they kind of set for subsequent horror films and slasher films. And I do think Halloween Two is is different from its predecessor. I do think it sits, you know, in that interface between being a horror film and, and a slasher film. Um, and yeah, there are there are things that I, I liked about it. I liked all those horror tropes that you see where people behave irrationally and um, people back into rooms without looking what's behind them, uh, you know, increasingly imaginative and gruesome deaths that, that unfold. And, and yeah, all those things kind of resonate with me and give me a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when I'm watching a, when I'm watching a horror film and, and Halloween 2 delivered on that, on that basis for me. But of course, you know, clearly it is a flawed film. Mm. I felt the first half of it dragged along, really. Um, you know, some of the acting in this film is not good. Even and that's you know setting a low bar for what you expect from these sorts of films. But even yeah. though, that standard, it was pretty poor. And I guess the thing for us to discuss later is fundamentally how scary is Michael Myers as as a character um, and as a you know figure compared to Jason or Freddy and the other ones that you you described there. And I, I think a lot probably depends on how you feel. Halloween 2 compares with the original film. Um, uh, and, you know, this pod season is all about sequels. And, mm. uh, this is indeed a sequel, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's a continuation. It kind of picks up exactly where the last, last one left off. And I think that's relevant. So for all that, you know, my score for this is a six and a half out of 10. That's where Okay. We're not that far away. We're not like, Oh, I think this is a nine and it's a four. We're, we're not far away. I went back and looked at my Nightmare on Elm Street um, review when, when I when I was on your, your pod last. And I gave that an eight. Yeah. I think that, that, you know, so that's kind of my benchmark as well, I think. That, that was also relevant to my decision-making. So if that's an eight, then this is a six and a half, if I'm generous, more perhaps more more of a six. But um, but no, I, I, did, I did enjoy it. Uh, okay. All right, well, we'll get to that. I think some of the things that are just genuinely disturbing in this have nothing to do with with Michael Myers. Um, there's some there's some really stuff that's just glossed over that you go, is anyone going to talk about that? Because that's quite that is disturbing. Um, we need to talk about the the franchise a little. <laughs> I think before we go into roll call, because then after roll call, I'd like to go straight into the film as it is with the many notes that I wrote. Um, so we've got this film in 1981. We've got Halloween three, the season of the witch, which has no relation to Michael Myers. Doesn't mention, doesn't refer to anything in the films, uh, stars Dana Hillary, who, uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Basically is an evil, um, toy maker. Who's using the mystic power of Stonehenge to kill kids that put on masks for Halloween. Um, he, he later went on to go and star in the last Starfighter with, um, Lance guest, um, don't know why I mentioned that, but the two films, two completely different films. Um, I always remember that. That was quite a sc- that was quite a scary bit where the kid puts on the mask, watches the TV, which activates the mask, and his head turns into snakes and and yeah, 
Okay. <laughs> I do remember that. Halloween 4 in 1988, the return of Michael Myers, has nothing to do. So it's 10 years later, after Halloween 2, he returns to Haddonfield to get his niece. Uh, the Revenge of Michael Myers, Halloween 5 in 1989, returns to Haddonfield to kill his, and I read this, to kill his now mute niece. Well, something obviously happens. Um, and then Jamie Lee Curtis comes back into it in 98 with Halloween H2O, which follows on from Halloween. T- Wait a minute. I'm going to be losing myself. Follows on from Halloween 2. Michael breaks into Loomis's office um, where and finds out that Jamie Lee Curtis is now a headmistress and then goes goes on his usual rampage. She ends up decapitating him. But no. Then we get Halloween Resurrection. And then after that, you get two remakes, which have a, a different lorry. So no Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and they take it from Michael's perspective. And more like an origin story, the reason why he did it. And then thankfully, thankfully, in 2018, everything from Season of the Witch up until now is discounted. And it is a straight sequel to Halloween 2. Um, and everyone, everyone returns. Everyone who's older, everyone, you know, that has a, has a role. People, people return and it's pretty good. Um, I do like Halloween Kills. I have watched Halloween Ends. Um, you know, and I think those three films are exceptional together. But I'm interested to take up your, and I think it's probably a good idea to take it up now, to take up your point of how, how scary how scary are these films? Because, because I think the first one is. I think the first one genuinely, genuinely is. When did you last watch it? Uh, about two months ago. Okay, fine. So yeah, uh, I would say so. As I say, I haven't watched that. I did go back in anticipation of Halloween ends. I did go back and watch Halloween and Halloween Kills, and I think Halloween has some. The, the, sorry, uh, the the 2018 remake is. It's brilliant. The second one's filler. Um, the third, the third's pretty good as well. But but scary, no. Entertaining, most definitely. Scary, don't think so. I, I would I would agree with that. I think um, you know you obviously looked starting from the starting point of Halloween two and looking ahead to all the the franchise that it became and things. I think they really made their, a rod for their own back and maybe this is something we'll get into more in trivia time, but I don't know if you cover Quentin Tarantino was interviewed about this film and, and his point was that the kind of um, big reveal in this Halloween 2 where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character turns out to be the sister of Michael Myers and that kind of made a rod for their own back and that's why they kind of moved away from that um, mm. plotline in, in subsequent films. And so some of them were Halloween in name only. They were kind of trading on the brand a little bit. And I think... One of the strengths of Halloween 2 is there is the last movie with all three of the original kind of leads in. So generally Curtis, Donald Pleasance and, um, and the Michael Myers character as well. And then, you know, there was no other film with, with the three of those that made that classic film so so good as well. So I think, yeah, of course, once you get into the third and fourth and fifth uh, in, in a series, your quality inevitably tails off. And I think it's to their credit that they've salvaged it with some of the more modern ones that you, you talk about there. But... I do think how you see Halloween 2 does depend on how you see Halloween. And obviously you're a fan, I'm a fan. It's, it, I think it is generally seen as being an excellent early 80s, well, late 70s, early 80s horror film. Um, I was just surprised, you know, about you saying you thought it was 
scary because I, I would have thought for a more modern audience people might find it a little bit pedestrian you know we're, we're perhaps more used these days to a lot more of the slasher genre rather than horror you know gruesome um stuff and that, that's something that you can level up halloween 2 as well you know they they went for more blood and more shocks in this film you know halloween is as a slightly less bloody film is it and all the more better for it though because mm-hmm. of how it's directed and the suspense no, and I can respect that, and I, and I would agree. I think on on the whole, not not fully, but yeah, you know, on balance, I would. But for example, my daughter, who's um, you know, not, not a film connoisseur, like a horror connoisseur, you know, she found this not scary. Uh, you know, she she was turned off. She only watched the first half to be fair, and I think the first half probably is the weaker part of the of the sequel. Um, mm. But yeah, it's um, I think it's more of an acquired taste, and I'm not sure it would find a modern audience would would appreciate it. If you were in 2022 sitting down to watch Halloween for the first time, I do think it would make one raise one's eyebrows. I mean, how you, you've watched the more modern reboots, you know, mm. how true are they to the original spirit of, of the, of the original Halloween? Uh, nothing is really. Um, what I would say is everyone plays it. So, so the more camp, the, the more campier ones, as you would say, Halloween three, um, four and five, you get Donald Pleasance, you know, back in, but no, but no, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. The others are played. The the the, the new remake is played more, more like a just an. It's a hard way to describe it. It's more like an entertaining film. It's 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 more like they're there to. There are there are a few shocks. Everything's a bit gorier. Obviously, we're in a different time now. Um, you know, everything's like a little bit more inventive. But bringing back the characters doesn't feel like a a nod like you know retro bait that they're just putting them in there just for the sake of it they actually have stories in order to tell and um, certainly the middle part halloween kills stars um anthony michael hall which is the geek from the breakfast club he's all grown up uh obviously as we all do we'll fill out a little bit uh like like he did but it's very much this case of mistaken identity and then confronting michael at the end and it's just it's good. It's no Empire Strikes Back, but it's a good filler between the middle, but it's not the best of the films. I, I was never I was never scared watching any any of the new trilogy, but I was highly entertained. Yeah, yeah. Entertainment. Now that's that's good. But I think for a horror to really work, it has to scare on some some level, you know, psychological yeah. or the jump scares have, have to work. I think I think the kind of last comment I'd make on the, the sequencing of the films, uh, particularly Halloween 2, is the fact that it is a continuation rather than just being a sequel set months or years later, you know, you, what I'd think would be quite a good fun thing to do would be to sit down and watch them back to back. Um, you know, ideally <laughs> a few drinks inside, I think. You know, we need it. We need it. I think it's, it's like listening to certain types of music. They're not supposed to be consumed on a sunny afternoon, you know, um, when you're perfectly competent. you know, a horror film late at night with a, some mates or a girlfriend or you know our age with your with your other half and you, and you watch it and you experience it together maybe with a bit of alcohol inside you and you know that that's the way to do it i mean i watched this on a what day are we on today on a tuesday literally on a tuesday afternoon and um and so i think you know you've got to pick your time to to be in the right frame of mind for this but i'd love to watch it back to back with halloween and see just how jarring the difference is between the first oh, i think it's yeah I, I, I think it's evident if you look at the second film and the other one the Friday, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. That that even breaks the whole thing that Freddy, I don't know if you remember that film, but he appears in real life. He appears in a, a, like a poolside barbecue and, and starts running around and stuff. And you're like, wait a minute, 
what? <laughs> what? Nobody talks really talks about that film. And I know we talked about, apart from us, when we talked about it on the podcast, Friday the 13th, part two. I can't tell you anything about that. I can tell you that Friday the 13th, part three, was in 3D. I can tell you that. But was, is Friday the 13th a good, scary horror film? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. I think they all start well. Um, but obviously, Jason doesn't appear in Friday the 13th. Sorry, sorry, spoiler alert. But I think, you know, 40 odd years is probably enough time for you to have watched it. So I think there's a hierarchy for those films. And it, it really came home to me when I was watching this. I think for me, it's Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th. Right, yeah. I think this, this for me is in silver medal position. Yeah, especially towards the end of the, um, uh, Friday the 13th, where they, they started taking his mask off a lot more so that you could see underneath it. And I think the beauty of it here, I mean, there's that, there's that fantastic scene where the two reporters at the start of the, the new Halloween remake, the first film, 2018, go and visit him. And he's been in prison since the end of Halloween 2. So basically, he's been in there for, what, like 40 years. He's been there and he's got his back to the camera and he's chained in the middle of this prison yard. Um, and and he looks up um, and the, all the prisoners that are also chained up around him just start screaming uncontrollably and stuff like, what, what are you seeing? You know, this guy's still got the mystique in order to do it. So, yeah, a few unnerving bits, a, a, a little, but still entertaining. Anyway, well... Should we get to uh, should we get to roll call and then we can discuss this uh, the, the the epic the epic bits in this film that let's, let's the do bits it. that worked yeah okay okay do you want to do go on because it it's it's Halloween so do you want to introduce roll call is roll call roll call right, right okay next year <laughs> I'll I'll do it <laughs> right. I might have to put some sound effects in or something like that. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, we'd we'd sort of covered Jamie. Well, I've covered Jamie Lee Curtis when I did Fist Call Wonder. Um, So I haven't done Trading Places yet or Perfect or anything like that. So, uh, yeah. Um, Trading Places, The Fog. She was the narrator in Escape from New York. There's going to be a theme here, Roll Call. Um, Fist Call Wonder, obviously, uh, True Lies. Everyone loves True Lies. Freaky Friday, but more recently, she's in Knives Out. Um, Dom, over to you. What do you, Jamie, memories of Jamie Lee Curtis or favourites? She's an actress that I am fond of. Let, let me put it that way. And I know Amanda's not on the pod today, so I don't have to. You can say what you like, yeah. yeah no, I've, I've always had a, a soft spot for her, that, definitely. So any, any film she's in, I tend to to pay attention. But when I was preparing for this pod, I think one of the things that struck me was she's not actually that prolific an actress. You, th- you think of her as not being a, an A-list star, Jamie Lee Curtis, but you know, as a successful actress whose career spans several decades, but actually, you know, she's, I think she's selective or she's got other things going on in her life. I think she's probably independently wealthy for her husband as well. But yeah, so she's not got as many films to her names as I thought, um, but she has been in some absolute belters and you, you've already mentioned them both. I would say Trading Places for me, it's in my top, top three comedies from the eighties. You know, I absolutely love that film. I would put it above Coming to America, for example. Um, yeah. 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 Love, 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 love that film. Tra- Trading Places. Um, Fish Called Wonder, classic. I'm not sure what you and Amanda scored from for memory for that film, but, you know, I'd, I'd be scoring that film very, very highly. But, yeah. Yeah, it was quite high. 
So, so for me, she's done two standout films there, and of course, Halloween itself would be her top three if I was to, to rank them. And I think more recently, though, actually, probably Knives Out um, was something I enjoyed. I thought she made a, a decent contribution to that, but that was really an ensemble cast, really, rather than something that she she personally led. So, no, you know, big big fan of hers. You know, a couple of scenes, particularly in Trading Places and in True Lies, which will be etched into my mind for all time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm a fan of hers, but uh, but yeah, she's not actually been in as much as one would think. No, but what she has been in, um, I suppose you can make the same argument for Sigourney Weaver. You know, not huge actress, you know. I mean, let's look at what she did like later in the 80s. Working Girl with Melanie Griffith and and Harrison Ford and, you know, Gorillas in the Mist, or just doing this from memory. You can't count her as a, as, as a, I don't think you can count anyone in Avatar as being a massive draw. I mean, oh, by the way, Galaxy Quest. It's great in Galaxy Quest. But, like, um, nobody in that film was a massive draw. Oh, I'm going to go and see that because it's got him in it and it's got her in it. It's got him. I think it's everyone wanted to go and see and try on the 3D glasses and see it in IMAX to see this beautiful world that's created. Avatar is a dreadful film, but it looks really, really good. Um, I, 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 maybe, really maybe it's a bit like that. I agree, and I think it's interesting you bracket those two actresses, you know, to, to get together because I, I would do the same. I, I know they were contemporaries, probably of a similar age, and, and you're right. Sigourney Weaver's not, you know, try, we're getting to Don, Donald Pleasance in a moment and his um, yes. attitude to appearing in films, but you know they're more selective, fewer and far between. And obviously, like all women in Hollywood, the older they get, the fewer perhaps opportunities that present themselves. But um, mm. yeah, I do, I do think them being um, you know similar similar actresses. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I think it's, <clears throat> pardon me. I think it's, um, I think it's testament to the fact you've got somebody like Sigourney Weaver, Alien and Aliens, will be her two best films, um, <clears throat> and and there is a case to be made for one of them being better than the other, and and everybody's right and nobody's wrong. It's 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 just one of those things that people just prefer. I mean, have it, I've got Alien to watch um, uh, on four K. Uh, again, I've watched it a couple of times on 4K and I want to go and watch that. And I'm like thinking, yeah, and I know we're going to do Aliens for the podcast, of which you're going to be on, because it's classed as a horror film. So you'll be on along with Joe uh, for that one, but no Amanda, because she's uh, behind it, hiding behind the couch. I think all, it's, I think it's a shame. You know, it's it's not a horror film. No, no, I uh, no. It's got elements of horror, though, def- definitely hasn't it, I think. And that's a shame, you know, I always love it when she's on the pod and I think yeah. I'm stepping out of the genres which you most like, uh, you know, can can give some interesting insights because I'm sure me, you and Joe are going to fanboy over aliens. So perhaps it might oh. be interesting for your listeners to have and then uh, some. a conference. some, yeah. Uh, anyway, Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Um, so, so before you kind of thought, you know, I don't know. Yeah, do you know what? I don't, you'd, you'd given me, so earlier today, um, I got forwarded something which I... I'd not not forgotten about, but just put to the back of my mind. And as soon as it, as soon as I played it, I went, "Oh my goodness!" I I played this at parties. I played this, you know, and said, "Did you remember those adverts? You know, the kids' adverts." Now, anybody outside the UK listening to this will go, "What?" And Dom's about to explain in a moment exactly why Donald Pleasance fits into this. But we were fed at a very early age. I may add, you know, probably about seven or eight. We were fed these public information films, which is like, kids, don't do this. Um, 
But my goodness, I've not been funny. <laughs> it's like they're like they're like really scary. Um, and Dom Ford would be the one with Donald Pleasance. Do you know what, Dom? Just take it away. Well, yeah. So Donald Pleasance, you know, amongst other characteristics, has got a very distinctive voice, hasn't he? Quite a, f- you know, well, he can certainly do a flat, an emotional, slightly foreboding voice. And he, he does the narration for something which is called The Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water. From <laughs> right. the Before you've even said anything, I mean, I'm being funny. What? <laughs> yeah. This is aimed at seven-year-olds. Yeah, so a series of pu- British public information films in the 70s and 80s, which were designed, you know, to um, influence behaviour. But the way that they influenced behaviour was by terrifying and traumatising a generation of British school children. And, um, you know, this this was one I did remember, but I'm not even sure it was the worst. But the, the way it's filmed in very eerie overtones, children playing by um, lakes and rivers with a hooded, death-like figure watching them and observing and uh yeah warning children of the dangers of playing near water um and you know achieved notoriety at the time for for allegedly and, and i can fully believe giving children nightmares there, there was another one that sticks in my mind uh, not involving donald pleasance which was to do with fishing near power lines which again was uh, was a terrifying uh was that the one with the frisbee uh i remember well, they, they go to get the frisbee back from the power lines and he's reaching over I, I, instead I, of getting the frisbee, he touches the power. I, I remember it being to do with fishing, but yeah, perhaps okay. whiffed on that. And it was, you know, power lines aren't toys. I think that was the key, the key message. But yeah, don't, don't <laughs> fish in the power lines. That, that was uh, that was one that um, introduced uh, bedwetting to to my local <laughs> primary school. When that came on. Yeah, and they would and they would either be shown at school, yeah, like, indoctrination, or, or they would just flash up randomly as you're watching kids' TV after school. And amongst all the bright colours and garish relaxation, there would be just this chilling voiceover from Donald Pleasance that would be uh, bouncing around your head at three o'clock the following morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's possible for copyright to link to it in with your with your channel or to even splice it in at the end of this pod. But yeah, that's something that you should seek out. The Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water. Yeah, go to, just go and type it in YouTube. And how does it start? It's like, I'm the bringer of death. Is it something like that? And you're like, I haven't got the transcript. In I'm like, okay, where's this going? <laughs> is is Bugs Bunny going to come back at some point? What what's this? Yeah, it just shows people dying. Once, especially one person dying in, well, dying, drowning. You know, it doesn't hold back. Children, children drowning as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, um... kids drowning. I mean, people go, people go river swimming. I don't see why that's a big problem because. But, you know, they're showing adults. They're showing an adult. And it was it. Death doesn't like, death doesn't like sensible children. I can't, can't be dealing with them. Like, all right, okay, get get the point. I'm also looking, as, as we're talking, I had a quick Google, see if I could find the, the words, which I can't, but they, they've got the, the nation's favourite because these were a bit of a cultural phenomenon. And I'm now, yeah. now looking at some of the other ones that existed. Uh, as we said, several of them were voiced by people who, uh, let, well, let's just say that um, the likes of Ralph Harris and Jimmy Savile won't ever be repeated on television. Anymore. Jimmy Savile was with his car once, didn't he? Um, yeah. Sorry, for those, again, for those readers outside the UK, Jimmy Savile was um, a, a fundraiser that the Royals loved and the nation loved. Uh, and he turned out to be a, uh, how do we say it? I mean, it fiddles with kids. Apparently, Ralph uh, Harris is called Learn to Swim. Perhaps that's because Ralph Harris is. Oh, and I remember that. Yeah, he's in a swimming pool with kids. Yeah. yeah. 
flea kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Leonard Fairclough in Coronation Street. Sorry again for all our non-UK people, but <laughs> oh, we could get we ourselves yeah. in real trouble if we go I down that road. I found it, yeah. Um, apparently it's, uh, yeah, uh, the, the nation's favourite public information. The film from 1973 is called Lonely Water. The opening scene is of a mysterious dark stretch of water. The voiceover by Donald Pleasance is ghoulish and threatening. I am the spirit of dark and lonely water, ready to trap the unwary, the show-off, the fool, and this is the kind of place you'd expect to find me. <laughs> to children playing on tip, but no one expects to find me here. <laughs> and, and it continues in a similar vein with this horrible hooded figure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I mean, we're playing on a tip in that point. There'll be syringes around and stuff. And they're actually saying the canal is a worse place to be than with syringes and used um, condoms and stuff. Yeah, only in 70s Britain could you be encouraging children to play on the tip, I think. 70s Britain. <laughs> Perhaps we're heading back that way. Can we go back? Yeah, can we? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, on to his films, though. I mean, obviously, you've got Blofeld in You Only Live Twice, The Great Escape, of course, uh, Escape to Which Mountain Eagle Has Landed. Uh, he was the president in Escape from New York. Um, yeah, and he was in a, a remake, The Great Escape 2. It's like a like an origin, and I'm like, why do you need an origin story? The Great Escape too. Yeah, and no, I, I didn't I didn't pick up on that one, but um, I, I did see when I was looking into him that uh, according to film critic Kim Newman um, on a DVD commentary for Halloween Two, uh, the reasons for Pleasant's lengthy filmography was he never turned down at any role that was offered. So you know, he, was from, <laughs> he was from that generation, I guess that of actors that felt they had to be constantly working. So if, if I'm totally honest, I, I remember him from two things, and that was. Uh, the Great Escape and um, and you know live twice, but, but I think he's in so many things often as a character actor that he's just part of the background of watching yeah. films from that era, really, isn't he? Um, Do we think Loomis is a good character? Do you think this is a? Um, I, I do, yeah. I think he brings a bit of needed yeah, I think gravitas so. I think and weight right. to this. Um, you know, J- Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't. I mean, we're getting into the reviews, so I'll, I'll hold back. But she doesn't do lots in this film. You know, a lot of the time she's spent in a hospital bed, so she doesn't get much of a chance to act really. So, I think it's him. You know, a lot of the film, he's he's got some broad shoulders carrying chunks of this film. I think as, as Donald Pleasance, and I think he does generally improve things when he's on screen. Yeah, I I, I agree. I do. Um. We haven't got a big roll call because I didn't want to make it too too complex. We've got Charles Cyphers, um, who plays Lee Brackett. Um, he was in The Fog. He was in the original Halloween. Uh, he was in Escape from New York. Uh, he was in Murder One. He appears in the latest film, so the one that's just been released. Well, a lot of the background cast, um, you know, I did, as I was making some notes as I was watching, I did query whether they were actually professional actors because, you know, some of it was pr- pretty ropey. Um, oh, acting, yeah, know, especially the hospital. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure we could identify the, the individual characters. But but I did read that the director, Rosenthal, um, you know, he, he brought a lot of, load of his buddies, basically, and his, his peers from some... Um, uh, acting class that he'd been on and and so a lot of them really didn't have much of a career or appeared in dribs and drabs after this but the, the two that kind of from the the background cast that i made a note of and i think you mentioned this guy earlier was 
uh, Lance Guest, who was yes. the curly-haired paramedic. So he was obviously in, in this with a reasonable role. And then he was in The Last Starfighter and Jaws of Revenge um, as well. Oh, so. sorry. I'm, I'm cheering. For those <laughs> that see it, I'm cheering Last Starfighter. I'm most definitely not cheering Jaws of Revenge. Oh, I thought the Jaws collection was what you were cheering. But yeah, yeah The Last Starfighter, yeah, you're, you're a fan of that as well, yeah. So, so yeah. He, he, did, he at least did something after that. And then the other the other paramedic character, um, Leo Rossi, who played Bud, was in a few things. Again, a bit of a character actor, so analyse this. He was in The Accused, and I've had a big part in that. Yeah. But, but again, a lot of kind of D-level, <laughs> 80s and 90s. There's call it stuff, like Hardcastle, McCormick and Mary Vice. Just, you know, it's just they just crop up. They're just like on a rotor. But, but there was one um, coincidence. So the last time I was on this pod, I think this was Final Tap, um, and the same guy does a cameo in that film. And this, yes, and it is. Dan Akami, isn't it? Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So best known from, from Wayne's World. Um, uh, yeah, and linked with Spinal Tap, as, of course, is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's husband as well. Yes, yes, indeed. So there is one other in the roll call. Oh, okay. Um, it's a shark. It's a Jaws reference. Do you want to you go for the big time? No, I don't know if I got the second Jaws reference. Go okay, on. the person doing the, the doctor doing the autopsy. Um, is Jeffrey Kramer, who plays uh, Deputy Police Chief Hendricks in Jaws 1 and Jaws 2. Oh, okay, yeah. As soon as you see him, you're like, oh, yeah. But you don't, you, you wouldn't probably recognise him because he didn't have a hat on. In most, in most of the time he's in Jaws, he's got a hat on. But, yeah. Um, because, because there wasn't much going on with the, the cast in this, beyond the kind of two big stars, um, I did look at the you know, people behind the camera and... The director did did very little after this. He did do a few more films, but none that I could tell you about other than Halloween Resurrection, um, which was which was one of his. But the rest of it were kind of you're more au fait, perhaps you know them, Bad Boys, not not that one, the other one um, from the eighties. Oh, that's with Sean Penn. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he was a bit meh in terms of his career, but obviously, um, you know, John Carpenter is a pretty famous director. But again, when you look at his filmography, really, he does run out of steam. And I think Lost... Tails off of after a time. Tails off to probably Prince of Darkness. Yeah, although, you know, the the I think the, the uh, conventional wisdom is that Big, to- Big Trouble in Little China really did for him. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, I think, commercially and critically not a success, was it? And I think after that, he wasn't really... Tr- he found it difficult to get that level of kind of budget and investment again. But, I mean, he had a good run. I think that's a good cult following that film. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have it so long since I've seen it, I couldn't really give a informed opinion. What, what's your view on that? Do you, do you think it stands Kurt, up? Or? Uh, what is it? Kurt Russell. It's definitely Kurt Russell. I think it's Kim Cattrall or Kim Cattrall. Um, yeah, I, I remember it as being good old fun. I mean, you know, if you wanted a, if you wanted something to like an Indiana Jones thing between Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. It's all right. Okay. If it's on on a Sunday afternoon, you're not going to complain, but you're not going to go and seek it out. The the one that I always think about, I mean, obviously he's best known for Halloween and Escape from New York and that kind of early part of his career. But my dad was always a big fan of Assault on Precinct 13, um, you know, which is, yeah, underrated. Got remade, didn't it? But um, again, that's probably, if Rusty Junk extended in the 70s, that would be, I think, a good film to cover because it is forgotten, but it it is a gem of a film, I think. Absolutely. We've got a few few 80s films to go, like hundreds to go before we get to that. But yeah, I don't 
I don't mind that. You and I listen to a podcast, which again I can't repeat the title of, but it's at the movies, um, sort of. Uh, and and they dip in. They 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 dip into the seventies when they feel like it. And I'm like, if I did that, there might be I might not come out for a while because there's a lot of good things in the in the seventies. Matt, you see, I would be trying to lobby you for the 90s. If we're going to go one way, yeah. the 90s, the 70s. But, uh, yeah. Yes, I know. You want Pulp Fiction. You want Reservoir Dogs. You want, yeah, all of that. Okay. I'm, I'm happy I'm happy fishing in the 80s. And um, <laughs> I, and I suppose the character that we haven't touched on at all is is Michael Myers, isn't it? The guy that plays him. But um, but he was more of a, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a high difficulty acting role, this really, is it? And he was more of a... More of it's a not, but it has to take that sort of gravitas. And I think in this one, wasn't he? I can't remember because I didn't. I've not got too much trivia. There was so much trivia that I just thought we've got so much to talk about that I might just leave you to do the trivia. But I do remember <laughs> that he was quite short and he had to wear like big heels in order to make himself look more imposing. I, I just thought that um, I felt a bit sorry for the guy, really, because it was an easy gig because you get paid for shuffling along menacingly. But um, he, he he said that uh, he watched the first film um, to prepare for the second film, and he said um, the way that he tilted his head that, that that's all I could carry with me into Halloween tea, uh, Halloween two. I didn't really see that much more to hang my hat on from the first film, so it was <laughs> that's all he had to go on in terms of personification. So yeah. Um, and he was just, you know, he wasn't an actor, really. He was more of a stuntman, and he was Kurt Russell's stuntman for 20-odd for years. Right. Yeah. Should we get into the film, then? Let's do it. Let's do let's, it. Let's do it. And it starts in such a sweet way, doesn't it, with... Um, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's the same, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you, you look at how the first film started, you look at Michael, the perspective. You don't know what it is that you're watching. You see the perspective of him moving around the house. That is great directing. This, however, just goes, yeah, we're just going to show you what happened at the end because obviously this is going to be straight afterwards. Um, I think because you, you know, you've got Dr. Loomis screaming around and, and you know, shouting, you know, you don't know what death is. I've shot him six times. You might have heard that in the trailer. But I think this is the first time that you see Michael's invincibility this aura of invincibility. I mean, my goodness, I, I told you at the end of, um, you know, Halloween H2O, she decapitates him. Well, how'd you come back from that? You know, the, the, going into the realms of, of the ridiculous when it, when it comes to things like that, of like, oh, he's back again. But I mean, the reason why you only find out in that film, the reason why he's, he kills his family was because of the, the curse of Thorn. No, the curse of Thom, which is you have to kill the family to save the civilization. It's a religion. It's like a cult, and that's why he does it. That's his motivation: is to keep killing in order to save wider civilization. Not very well known, but and doesn't really make for a good horror film that he's doing it out of benevolence, like Thanos snapping his fingers in order to try and save save humanity. You know, save the universe. That was his rationale. This is, uh, I suppose, this is Michael's. But I, d- I do like. I think Loomis is is good because he he adds that sort of gravitas in, into it. And when you see Michael walking down, you know, walking down the, the the you know the path, that's good. I I do love shots where he's in the background, where the person's in the foreground is unknown, 
and doesn't see it because they're facing the camera, they're facing that way, they're looking at the fridge, they're looking at something else, and then you see it in the background. I, I genuinely like shots like that. So I do appreciate that. I would agree. I, I thought that uh, the way that was filmed was was good. And I thought after the, <clears throat> the at the very start of the film, when it reconnects, you know, literally with the the first film, and you get that out of the way, and then the film gets going. I thought that um, the way that it filmed it from Michael my point of view was interesting. I thought it was quite voyeuristic, and you know, and both a slightly uncomfortable watching. And then, mm. and then to your point, and then you you sit from a different angle, and, and he's in the background. I thought that did feel threatening and well done. I did like that exchange that you slightly skipped over which is um you know again very early on when the neighbor says i've been trick-or-treated to death tonight and <laughs> you know, loomis in a very overwrought way you don't know what death yeah, is there's... i could have done with a bit more of that really I, you know i don't know if it's intentionally funny or or not but it but it, it made me chuckle when i when i was watching that. <laughs> but yeah but, the, but then but then he kind of you know after um escaping from jamie Lee curtis and having been shot six times he, he targets his next victim and this is what i mentioned in my review i love that you know you've got that old couple and you think they're going to be Yes. and you've got you know people walking backwards into rooms you've got they turn on the radio or the television and there's a specific news item related to the exact scenario that they're in there yeah. happens yeah. At, at that moment uh, and then it cuts to that single complacent young woman alone which I, I wondered if that was the reference point for scream and drew barrymore's um uh, you know character and that that start of the, of the scream franchise as well which i'm supposed yeah. to these these films as well but i i, I, I like that. that's one of the reasons i like horror films you know people might feel they're derivative or repetitive and maybe they are to some extent but i, I, find, I kind of find that warming and uh, I, I enjoyed that so um, yeah yeah it's a good it's a good um yeah the, the killing of that girl is a good jump scare but that's all you see you just see him jumping up that's you know um it, it's yeah it's it's good but obviously that you've got laurie that's your jamie lee curtis character taken to hospital yeah and right. suddenly you're introduced to these other bit players that we talked about like lance guest um i think okay. it's important probably to point out lance lance guest is good in the last starfighter i know we've done this over roll call He's very, very poor in Jaws of Revenge, and I can't really think of him in anything else. You know, if this was if this was a quiz night at a pub and they've got a you're to name four, three Lance Guest films, I wouldn't have remembered him in Halloween Two. I would have been struggling for the third one if if I'm honest. But his acting in this is dreadful. He plays such a creepy character mm-hmm. um, that you're like thinking, what what's going on with these people? Because when she gets to hospital. Nobody's there. Uh, you, you know, this must be, this is the most poorly run hospital. There's only about five staff there. Yeah. Inclu- yeah. Including, you know, Jeffrey Kramer from Jaws, you know, and you're like, and, he, and then he's gone home. I, I think the, t- the film, you have to acknowledge the film does take a fairly significant dip at this point. You know, I think it starts okay. Then it gets interesting. You know, he starts to kill again. And, and yes. As we discussed, but then this is where I think it suffers from being a continuation of the first film, because, you know, you've got the almost the rigmarole and the administrative part of getting her to hospital and getting her from A to B, and it takes ages to do that. And the the police are all very relaxed and casual, despite the fact there's a triple homicide. You know, how, yeah. how often in their careers do they encounter in the suburbs of Illinois, um, you know, triple homicides, and they just stood around the hand in their pockets. They get to the hospital, as you say, it's deserted. I mean, clearly they're filming in a real hospital, at, and they have to close it off. But they could have at least you know padded it out a little bit and. 
And I thought, yeah, there's some real low points in the acting. I mean, you you call out the the paramedic, but I thought the nurse at reception and the drunk doctor yeah. it was almost yeah. like a regional theatre, not even regional theatre. You know, if I went down to Hebden Bridge, population four thousand people to the local theatre, I would expect a higher standard of somebody being able to like, drunk <laughs> than that. It was, um, and my notes say almost adult film levels of bad acting like you expect them to strip off after they've done well, it well if only we got the extras that, that come with that but no we're sad, sadly not not to be although we do have a hot tub scene which we, we'll get to um here comes the disturbing bit the police are all you know completely nonchalant about it you've got donald pleasant shouting his thing off um this police car comes out of nowhere in the middle of the street and and runs over what they think who they think is michael myers because he's got a mask on and they're like, there's, they run over, they burst into flames, the body's on fire, and you're like, oh, my God, at this point, the police cordon it off, they put the guy into cuffs, uh, it, it, there's a suspected manslaughter, they call in the the you know, the uh, neighbouring forces in order to try and, and contain this because it's getting out of control and all this sort of thing. Nope. Nope. Nobody bats an eyelid. And do you know that this is one of the disturbing things? You only find out, obviously, that I wasn't, obviously won't be Michael Myers. You only find out because two people later go, and, and I've forgotten who it is, but anyway, yeah, little Jimmy's disappeared. You know, he's, he isn't. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> is anyone going to like acknowledge that this police officer just, I, I'd say manslaughter, maybe murdered this kid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it, it was a funny scene, wasn't it? I mean, they, they, they obviously blew the entire stunt budget on that because <laughs> right, not until the end of the film when there's an explosion do we see anything remotely like that ever again. But yeah, no, so no. He's, pinned, he's pinned up against the uh, car, burning alive. You know, the, the, the cops watching it effectively like blowing bubble gum, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> tossing a coin and catching it and staring, you know, lock, staring out the window. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it is pretty gruesome, and nobody seems especially bothered. I suppose it's just one more, one more to the body count. Yeah, and there's still no Michael Myers at this point. Yeah. I usually like a lot of Michael Myers in my Halloween films. So I'm not getting an awful lot. Instead, what we get is the paramedic hit, hitting on um, Jamie Lee Curtis in the hospital. The, the, there's a series of scenes back to back, which yeah, you say it starts with Jamie Lee Curtis flirting with the paramedic, despite having gone through this incredibly, which is still the same night, you know, supposedly as the first films. So after all that, you know, she's actually you know romantically interested in this paramedic. There's a corpse being collected from the house. There's friends having an argument about a lift home. It doesn't exactly move the plot and the action along, does it? And um, uh, and then the, then there's a long conversation about trying to get hold of Jamie Lee Curtis's parents. He, you know, she's only 22 when this is filmed, but she actually looks about 28. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. As, as well. Um, I think this is the point that my daughter Isabel gave up on the. the I don't film. blame her. She's she's a smart kid. And I, I think this was a low point, but I think it does pick up from here. It does pick up from here, but yeah. Um, and then there's like dumb jump scenes, aren't there? You know, they're, they're poking around at the back of the hospital, and there's a, a cat that jumps out. Cat that jumps out. You saw that in the trailer, yeah. The cat jumps out. It, it kind of tests the patience a little bit. It it does. I mean, you know, you've got like I don't know how far away how the, the hospital is, but it's a fair old. I mean, the hospital from here, uh, from where where I currently live. If I if wanted to walk it, it would probably take me about an hour i would think in order to walk it michael hears over the radio that that laura yeah that um 
Jamie Lee Curtis is alive and taken to the hospital. And he walks past this row of shops with just this very hastily put together sign, Haddonfield Hospital, this way. And you're like, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm wondering, by the way, when you can justify that this picks up again. But we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. You, you say that it does. Um, the first... The, the fact that the phones are cut in the hospital, so obviously he gets there, the phones are cut. So he's, he's clever enough to, to work all this stuff out, that, you know, he's got to be able to do this. If you were Jamie Lee Curtis, why are you not demanding police protection? Why is nobody demanding and going, there is a madman who's now killed four people um, that is on the loose. And by the way, he's wearing a Halloween mask. By the way, stop telling us about Jamie Lee Curtis. Just tell us that anyone wearing a mask, go go away. But meanwhile, he's walking through. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Kids are passing him. and Well, well because she's busy flirting with the paramedic, which is exactly what would happen. <laughs> you know, she's not, he's not trying to get out of the country. She's not, you know, getting SWAT teams um, rung up or, any, or anything like this. Yeah. It did occur to me at this point. <laughs> How did this film cost two and a half million dollars to make? Because ninety percent of it is just individuals wandering around, you know, car parks and corridors. You know, yeah, but when you compare the original, it was what three hundred twenty-five thousand? Yeah, to yeah. make and then made back. And I think was it? I, I forgot what the gross was. I did actually have it up because I was talking about the, um, the you know diminishing returns until it gets to a certain point. So it made seventy million dollars worldwide on a budget three hundred twenty-five. This was two and a half million. Um, you're right, but I made only twenty five million back in. You don't want to know what the the other three did: fourteen, seventeen, eleven. But again, that they're being made for, and those are some of the ones with the bigger budgets at that time. But then suddenly you get into, like you know, resurrecting the Halloween, and you know, seventeen million to make, and it makes seventy five. But then obviously the latest trilogy. The first one made 255 million, the second 131 million. At current rate, this is 58 million that it's made um, since it's been out. So, do you know, if you were making Halloween films and you were funding them and going, you're not going to lose your money. I, I honestly don't know how they managed to spend two and a half million dollars on this one. I can only assume no. a million went to Jamie Lee Curtis, a million went to Donald Pleasance, and the rest of it <laughs> the rest of it was dad to dad to pay the guy that put to put the wooden sign up, which <laughs> looks like a deserted village hall. I mean, the hospital does not look like a hospital to start with. Well, after forty minutes into the film, and it's only a short film, you know, the body count yeah. was two, and one of those was accidentally killed by the police through negligence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do get to the. We do get to the police chief. Oh, you know, um, oh, look over there, Star Cinema with the police chief. I was right. Oh, it's a cat. All right, I get that. Yeah, and then, this, is, this is when it gets better, I think. Or this is when this stuff starts. Only happening. because he puts a hammer in his head. And that did make me wince. You know, that is somehow okay. more brutal than being slashed. I thought. I mean, if, if I if you gave me the unpalatable choice of having my throat slit or being bashed to death with a hammer in the skull. I think I think I'd choose the quicker, <laughs> the, the quicker knife. It made it made me wince. And then and then it very shortly cuts to that charred corpse on the um autopsy table, doesn't it as well? Yes. So, and then the guy says the well, one that you know it basically confirms this isn't Michael Myers. The the, the the police should be called right there and then go, you know, arrest that guy on <laughs> suspicion of manslaughter. I mean where's the joint where's there was at least some credibility, some joined up things. We, did, we never had this problem with the first film. 
Yeah, I did think at this stage, a surprising amount of reliance is needed on having watched the original Halloween to understand. If, if, if you're trying to follow the plot, not everybody who watches these films is actually that bothered about the plot. But if you want to try and piece together what, what on earth, shall we say, is going on, yeah, and um, then you do. There is a bit of a dependency on having seen the original Halloween, I think. Yeah, but if I, why don't you just John? I mean, again, you might be able to tell me this in trivia time. Why didn't John Carpenter do this one? I think he was um, working on the Fog. Uh, well, it's that, that you know. I think he had another film on the game in terms of the Fog, but also um, he. In fact, I've got a quote from him. I think he said. I've already made that film once. Um, so, that, you know, kind of creatively, uh, he didn't want to do it. And the guy that he got to do it, Rosenthal, wasn't his um, wasn't his first choice either. So, uh, it, so, so Carpenter got brought back in towards the end in the edits to, because um, I, I don't think they were enamoured with what had been delivered to them. Um, yeah, in fact, here, here you go. So, um, reluctant to extend his involvement in the film, Carpenter refused to direct and originally approached Tommy Lee Wallace, the art director from the original Halloween, to take the helm. Carpenter told one interviewer, I had made that film once and I really didn't want to do it again. After Wallace declined, Carpenter chose Rosenthal, a relative unknown and experienced director, based on a short film he'd, uh, which Carpenter had seen. So yeah, you know, that, that's that's not being careful with your with your franchise, with your kind of um, you know, creative output, is it? Giving it to a rookie director who's your second choice and then having to kind of intervene at the end to, to patch things up a little bit. Yeah. You say that, but then if you look at, um, so there are there's some, suppose there's some similarities here. You've got Ridley Scott directing alien. Um, at that point, if you go back to, you know, to, to what was James Cameron doing at that time? Um, you know, he was a, he was a set designer that got lucky. Um, and, and basically got got asked to do simply because the other director couldn't do James um, James Horner James Cameron's first film was Piranha Two: The Awakening, which which has flying piranha in it, and it's it's a dreadful <laughs> it's a dreadful film. But you you've got suddenly he makes the Terminator, and whoa whoa! But then he gets Aliens straight afterwards, well, and you're like, yeah, do you know what? Rookie director. I mean, I don't know what this Rosenthal made before that was, well, nothing, that was any was good. De- this is his debut. That, that's oh, okay. Well, then that's probably g- g- gave his films earlier. You know that he made subsequent to this because there was nothing. He didn't turn into a Cameron and um, and have this kind of illustrious career. This was definitely a career highlight for him. And he did so. He's, the films he made in total there aren't many. Halloween Two, Bad Boys, American Dreamer, Ruskies, Distant Thunder, Just a Little Harmless. SEX, I don't know if I say that. Oh, Ruskies is awful. Halloween yeah. Resurrection in 2002, Nearing Grace and Drones, and that, that was it. Um, so, you know, n- not, not much. Although he did marry um, the actress who played the, one of the nurses in here as well, so it wasn't wasn't all bad for him in this, uh, in, in this film. Well, if we're moving this along, was it the nurse that got um, sorted out in the hot tub? No, although she's in, the one in both she, ways. She's the I one I would have uh, wanted to marry, but no, it, it wasn't there. It was the one that went to retrieve... Donald Pleasance um, to take him back to that other institution. When it gets to that hot tub scene, which is the next, which is the next bit. I mean, we've got Laurie having a dream, which is obviously the dream is that Michael is, you know, in fact that Michael is a is a brother. Um, you got this hot tub, and I was like thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> right? I I know the fundamentals of how a hospital works. If nobody's if nobody turns up, if there's no A and E, they don't go. Well, I tell you what. 
and just well, just open up the bar. We'll get the twister out. <laughs> we'll get some buckaroo. We'll put some Netflix on. They don't just sit there and goof around. They're, they're always on a heightened level, presumably because they're always they're always busy. This hospital, however, goes ah, a bit quiet tonight. Let's go. Let's go in the hot tub, or or rather, the birthing tub. I, I assume is a birthing tub. But otherwise, why would you put a hot tub in a in a hospital? But if it is a birthing tub, in fact, even if it's a hot tub, because I own one, I can categorically say there is no setting where you would go to scold, even put on there scalding, right? There's, it, it makes no sense to have that setting on there. You can't imagine the man- manufacturers meeting with the engineers saying, what we need to do is go up to a temperature where it just strips the flesh from the skin and it's going to see us embroiled in lawsuits for the rest of our natural lives as a result. So, yeah, I, uh, I think I think everybody did that. But maybe it's in case they want to lay some food on. You know, it's really quiet evenings. They want to get some prawns and some shrimp and, uh, you know, boil it up perhaps. Yeah, but even more scary would be if that is actually what it's probably supposed to be, <laughs> which is where women could give, like, a water birth. I, I it, even if it has that switch that you could accidentally flick I mean, when they he, when the thing gets turned up, it only takes about ten seconds. You go, oh, it's getting warm in here, right? Hot tubs go on, <laughs> just for reference, right? Hot tubs, you have to know in the morning when you want it in the evening, because it takes one hour to go up one degree. That's that's the rule. Yeah. This, <laughs> I can't it, must, it must have filaments just built in that are always red hot, ready to go. You know. I think in the room below, there's like two men shoveling coal who are just, <laughs> just, just kept that cranked up. Yeah, um, I know. It, it, it it's hard to see why I gave it a four. I mean, but, not being funny. But that said, despite the implausibility of both the manufacturer and the operation of the, <clears throat> the bath, it, it, is a, it is a good scene. I mean, you know, we're red-blooded men. There is something to be said for the gratuitous nude shots that, that you know, okay, okay, are often yeah, in these yeah. sorts of films. And I, I think... I think this part of this film does itself proud as, as far as that goes. Uh, you know, the, the 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 man in this dynamic is efficiently dispatched in the background, off screen almost. Yeah. Where a woman is sadistically murdered in, in close up. After sucking him, sucking his fingers and licking his fingers. And... Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Wouldn't you go, wait a minute, have you been out gardening? I mean, you know, literally <laughs> he's got soil all over his hands. I mean. You've been eating prawn cocktail, Chris. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, honestly, yeah. It, clearly, that this sort of dodgy <laughs> politics and uh, treatment of women does not survive into 2022. But if you're watching a 1981 horror film, it had better deliver on that score. I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it did, frankly. God damn it. I want, I want all of these check things checked. Yeah. Checked. Um, <laughs> well, um, you've got Dr. What cuts back at this point, Dr. Loomis has been ordered by the governor um, to basically go, you've got to ignore this, a bit like Mayor Vaughan in Jaws. You can't can't have anything that, that disrupts the mental health programme of the of the state and all this lot. And even better is, oh, we've got a marshal waiting for you. Well, news travels quick, <laughs> really, <laughs> in this case. I'm thinking of having to raise somebody that the governor makes that call and then goes, right, th- that that process is really speedy. The communication must be effortless. Nothing like the police that are all still, as you say, flipping coins and chewing gum, standing around. For, for something that hinges off on landlines, yeah, it was remarkably efficient <laughs> the way that uh, the way that, that happened. But 
I, I thought that once they'd crossed that kind of line of the the scene that we were talking about a moment ago with the the hot the, the hot tub um, and everything, then it it did crank up a level because then it seemed to kind of abandon all real connection to the original Halloween film. <laughs> we did enter slasher territory, didn't we? Because it's around this time that the um, the syringes make an appearance. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you say you didn't find this film scary. Perhaps scary is the wrong word, but. Did you not find that syringe in the eye? That was pretty. Oh, I found it that you would wince. You would wince at it. Uh huh. Right. I mean, you know, I, right, I, I, stub, it... I stub my toe and I might, I might wince a bit. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, it's just you know, it's, it's just the way that it's filmed, the way that they actually set up. It all looks. It doesn't look real. It doesn't look. But you go, oh god, yeah, I wouldn't want that anywhere near my eyes. Let's let, let's just for a moment talk about pro- proper scares. Is Jaws a horror film or not? Some people do put it in that genre, and some people put it in it's just finest film ever made. I mean, I, I wouldn't call it a horror film. There no. are jump scares. There are very good jump scares in Jaws, and there are more jump scares in Jaws that that people go, "Oh my god!" Do you remember the the head coming out of the boat? Do you remember the shark coming out? Do you remember the kid getting in it? Do you remember the the uh, Chrissy Watkins at the start? Oh my goodness. I mean, that is, I mean, when I watched it in 3D, that is genuinely unnerving still. And I've seen it, well, 339 times. And every time it's still. Although these things are both films, you know, we're talking about very different things. You know, Jaws is a a classic film, your personal favourite, and I think stands the test of time. Wonderful film. This is, you know, a a guilty pleasure, I think, films like this. This is... um, you know, the down and dirty, grubbier side of, of filmmaking. That doesn't mean it's invalid, it doesn't mean it's not enjoyable, but mm. yeah, very different to, to compare and contrast. The, like Jaws 3. Well, yeah. yeah. Guilty uh, pleasure. Yeah. There is. And there's nothing wrong with guilty pleasures. Uh, That's true. I've got, I've just got plenty of them. <laughs> like how, Howard the Duck. Is it? So for those people that can see it, there's Howard up there. He's a pointing. He's a... Um, I've got a new addition coming to Rusty Junk. I'll tell you about that at the end. Uh, I've got a new poster that's coming, which will take pride of place. But I will, uh, I'll tell you all about that. Um, Dom, Dom doesn't know anything. I don't think you know anything about it, do no, you? No, you told me. I, Did I tell me you? But I haven't shown you yet, right? Yeah, no, no, I haven't um, shown you the draft, right? Recession, what recession? Well, if you're going to go out, I'm going to go out with a bang. At least I'm going to get something that I wanted. Um, so now you've got yeah you've got so you've got the needle in the eye which is good because doctor the the doctor that administered the, the sedative to um, Jamie Lee Curtis who you'd be wondering is she going to be in this film at yeah. some point um, so you've got all of these things going on um, it, it, you've got that scene if you watch this th- that scene you've got Michael Myers hand, holding up like a scalpel with a sort of hook on the end I'm sure there's a name for it. But he's 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 hitting the bed, but it's just pillow, and that's because Jamie Lee Curtis has got out of the bed and escaped. And presumably, Michael Myers. You always think there's this, there's this link between the two that there's no way that almost like um, it's like a bit like that scene in Alien Three where the alien comes up to Ripley and doesn't kill her because recognizes that there's some mutual thing, and obviously she's she's pregnant um, with one of the aliens. Um, so you're kind of like, wow, okay, there's this there's this thing where the, where it can't happen. No, Halloween 2, straight in, and he thought that he was killing her, and, and that would have been the end of it. 
So, I mean, because she's gone out, I don't understand why she tries the phone again because she's tried it once and there's, there's, it doesn't work. But she's trying it again just in case, just in case Michael Myers has gone out. Do you know what? I've killed everyone. I need to kill you here. Click. I'll, just, I'll leave you in peace now. I'm off. <laughs> um, but but a nurse gets killed in front of Jamie Lee Curtis, and there's zero there's zero reaction to this, and I'm like. This is badly directed. I mean, I've even written down. So for those people at home, in my notes, badly, badly directed, right? And it is because either you're not getting the you're not not getting the best out of your cast. You're not even trying with the cast. You're not even doing that. Then do you know what? <sighs> I think I think you're spot on. Yeah, she, she's wasted in this film, and I said it tongue in cheek earlier, but it's true. Ninety percent of the film, she spends in a hospital bed being ill or sedated and, uh, and that's a shame. I'd love to know how many lines she actually has in the whole film because it's it's not very many and and at least 80% of them are in the last kind of five five or ten minutes of, of the film as well. So there's large chunks where she's either not present or not or not contributing and that, that is a, a waste, I think. You're, you're right. Mm. Uh, when she runs outside, she's trying to get away. Um it doesn't even again. I put. It doesn't even look like a hospital. It looks like a village village hall with no lights on. Um, but at this point, you get the revelation from you know Loomis. Uh, oh, sorry, that, I can't remember. Does does the woman that's travelling in the back of the car with the marshal that's taking them away tell him? Yeah, that, that's the one that's married to the just uh, for, to the director as a, as a right to that that point I made earlier. But yeah. That, um, that that policeman that's driving the car, he's another awful actor. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like they've roped him in off the street because the guy didn't turn up. So, <laughs> excuse me, pal, do you want to earn 20 bucks? Because, um, yeah, I reckon I could be more convincing than him. <laughs> the way they're hijacking <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. Loomis goes from all cerebral and highbrow to just doing a Grand Theft Auto-style carjacking on the cop. <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, Loomis goes... Right, we where where I think he doesn't he ask where is she now? And he's well, she's in the hospital. What? But you, you knew that already. Anyway, all right, okay. Plot contrivance. We need to all get back to the hospital for the final final scene. Um. <laughs> so what have we got? We've got. Talk me through this final scene because it involves Loomis getting stabbed. Uh, not very well. <laughs> yeah, so so they finally bring all the three main characters back, don't they? So that, you know, once they've dispatched with the the policeman, and then then they get the main ones back, and they're, and they're in this operating theatre, I think, aren't they? At the at the end. But before then, before that before that operating theatre bit, he gets shot. Yeah. So and Loomis Loomis shoots him. So they see once and for all, you know, I mean, I think Loomis was already aware, but every, nobody's in any doubt that he's supernatural or, or not. Apart not from Loomis, he's going, stay away from the body. Don't go anywhere near the body. Police chief goes, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I won't. <laughs> and then 30 seconds later, he's standing over him like fatal <laughs> attraction. You're like, oh, God. Well, yes. Do you know yeah. what? You deserve to get your throat slit. That's that was wo- again woeful acting but anyway sorry back to the operating theater for the grand finale 
So, yeah, so, so, Jamie, so Jamie Lee Curtis um, blinds him in the eyes. I'm not sure if she takes out his eyes or she shoots him in the head and he bleeds into his own eyes, but he's blinded. You know, the effect is to, yeah. to blind him. Meanwhile, Loomis is frantically letting off um, ether and oxygen into the into the air again. Certain safety features seem to be missing from this uh, equipment because it seems remarkably <laughs> easy to build up a massively destructive uh, explosive potential in this, in this operating theatre and then uh, Loomis takes one for the team doesn't he allows Jamie Lee Curtis to to escape with uh, Michael Myers swiping what which is him. which is the most ridiculous thing in this entire film a the swiping goes on too far too long and b it makes him look like an idiot yeah it does, it, it does, you might as well have played some comedy music in the background while he's doing that and, <laughs> and kept the sound effect in of him going <laughs> I was going to say, who would have thought the uh, the way to get him? They could have just stuck a bucket on his head. Like, they could have <laughs> back in the start of this film, just put on the jar of a door so he walks in, it falls on his head, and he can stumble around in comedic fashion for the, for the rest of it, just <laughs> windmilling ineffectually from, from room to room. But, yeah, it does uh, it does reduce his, his threat potential. Um, and That's then, a bit course, excessive, isn't it? I've got an idea. Let's blow the hospital up. Yeah, the only hospital for probably miles around. I mean, I know nobody was going there, but I mean, still, it's it's still a much needed community resource. No, nope, let's blow the, the thing up. The body counts like ten, but the excess deaths over the next six months horse people on long ambulance <laughs> rising cardiac arrest, which go and treat into your heads. We're into the hundreds. We're into the hundreds. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so the the torches, the, the the spark is lit. The whole place goes up, as you say. Uh, an actor clearly in a fireproof suit is seen <laughs> emerging from the, uh, from the yep. flames. <laughs> Alan Michelin, man, three three times thicker and wider than he was going into it. So, uh, and, and finally, he's dead in the film just pretty much ends, doesn't it? it, it yeah, it does. It, but it what happens to... I don't... See, this is where I, I'm going to watch the rest of the films. I'm going to... Uh, presumably, and I, I hope they do, are they going to explain why Loomis isn't alive? Because he was right at the morning... <laughs> It basically, there's he was in the epicenter of the explosion. Well, this is this is what I said. They make a rod for their own back, don't they? So I think it, you know he's dead. Michael Myers is dead. That's why they don't they don't appear in the third one, do they? Right. Um, and then they just have to basically forget about that plot point later on. So they've, they've made that uh, you know, made that issue for themselves. I, I don't think they were. Some of them they start off as a franchise with the intention to make as many as possible. I do think Halloween they were planning to stop at two because yeah. otherwise they wouldn't have written these major characters out. Yeah. So anyway, if if you've got to this point in the podcast and you've never seen it, then just put it on your list of some of the things that you should do at some point. Um, certainly, because th- I think this podcast, like quite a few of them, has been more far more entertaining than the film was. So watch, watch it when you've got a drink in your hand or you've got something to uh, let's say give you give you a, a funny outlook on life. Watch it with some friends. You know, watch it for what it is and enjoy the enjoy the scare. You're more charitable than I am. <laughs> okay. I'd say go and watch the new trilogy and then go back and watch all of this. Oh, well, watch them as a back to back. Watch them as a duo. Halloween, Halloween 2 in a double bill one night. That'd be a fun thing to do, I think. All right. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Shall we? <laughs> Shall we? I'm looking at you for this one. I've got a few. I mean, I think I've got two that I wanted to discuss, but <laughs> I've got some trivia time. You need to let me know. so much weight. There's so much, tri- so much trivia. Okay. That we'd, we'd probably need another podcast to do it. But anyway, um, I'll introduce this one after your last effort. So um, over to Trivia Time. Trivia Time. Okay. Uh, as they say in Rick and Morty, 
Show me what you got. Can I just express my disappointment that you didn't do trivia time in a spooky voice? Yeah. Oh, I told you I wasn't going to make the same mistake. <laughs> so I thought, you know, um, one interesting bit of trivia was that, that Quentin Tarantino was a big fan of the original Halloween, but uh, real not not a fan at all of the um, the second one. But and apparently he had some exploratory talks about writing the sixth film in the Halloween franchise. So, as you oh, know, right, your, okay. Um, analysis Halloween 5 The Revenge of Michael Myers um, ends with a mysterious man in black uh, breaking uh, Michael out of jail yes and Tarantino was going to take the reins for the next one and apparently he was um, going to take take the man in black shows up frees Michael Myers and the only thing he had in his mind um, was to take him on like a kill spree along Route 66 so basically it sounds a bit like the work that he ended up doing on Natural Born Killers he was going to apply to this film um, oh right okay with 6 but the reason that he didn't um, take it up was because he wasn't a fan of the of the sequels. He says the sequels were horrible. They're like fruit from a poison tree because Laurie is not the brother of the shape, as he refers to Michael, um, mm. criticising the Halloween 2 twist that reveals Michael and Laurie are siblings. It's horrible that it does that. There's just something far more scary that he's going through Haddonfield and it's just her. I think they yanked some idea out of their, their ass. Can I say that? And uh, yeah, yeah. they just taught themselves into a hey, why this is this is why, and now part two has a reason. <clears throat> Tarantino did go on to praise Rob Zombie's 20, 2007 Halloween remake and its 2009 sequel, um, you know, which is unsurprising with him being mates with Rob Zombie. But um, yeah, yeah, I would I would like I would love to see a, a Tarantino Halloween film. I think that'd be great to see. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And uh, speaking of Tarantino, I know he talked about uh, <clears throat> he's got a podcast out. Uh, with his good friend Roger Avery, who made Killing Zoe, but they both worked on Pulp Fiction together. Um, he talks about Piranha, the original Piranha, as one of the films. And I think he shares that love that I do, of just like he can see the, the, the genius behind certain films. And there is genius to be found in, in the most unlikeliest places. But again, he probably he looks at Piranha. I'd guess if he ever gets to Piranha 2, he'd go, I don't even know why this exists. There's no reason for it to exist. You can at least make a case for Jaws 2. Yeah, no, no, fair. fair. Um, I got, I got quite a good, what I thought was quite a good um, bit of trivia about Donald Pleasance as well. So um, quite old actor, born in the 1920s. um, And uh, in December 1939, Donald Pleasance initially refused conscription into the British Armed Forces, registering as a conscientious objector. But he changed his stance in uh, 1940 after the Luftwaffe started bombing London and he uh, volunteered with the Royal Air Force. Um, he was a wireless operator and he flew 60 raids um, over occupied Europe with the RAF. So that's that's hardcore, you know. Um, wow. Talks about Memphis Bell and the number of tours they do. But, you know, 60, 60 flights is, is hardcore. But anyway, um, in um, 1944, his bomber was shot down uh, and he was captured and imprisoned and uh, was in the infamous Starlag Luft prisoner of war camp uh for the rest of the war uh during which time he produced and acted many plays for the entertainment of his fellow captives so you know he went on a hell of a journey wow conscientious subject to volunteer for the raf 60 flights in stalagluft one um yeah what what a and, and obviously i'm sure brought plenty of that experience to the great escape yeah that's that's a great story yeah well you know he went up in my estimations after that that's a, that's a life well lived isn't it yeah yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the only other trivia I had that I think will will to cross the threshold of your quality, Charlie, is about my um, 
award season and even I couldn't shoehorn in Oscars <laughs> for this pod, I'm afraid. So, you know, a couple of lesser BAFTAs. So, Jimmy Lee Curtis got nominated for BAFTA for Trading Places and A Fish Called Wonder and she got the Golden Globe for True Lies. But no, no Oscar-worthy winners in this one, I'm afraid. Yeah, you need to get, you need to get some sort of... True Lies is just, it's just, it's too, it's too good. I mean, it came out of nowhere. Yes, it's got, yes, it's got caricatures in that, which probably don't stand up too much. But I mean, it's just well put. It's just a, it's just a, it's a sheer definition of a popcorn film that you want on a Saturday night when you were back when I was going to the cinema. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to do, he says, looking up to knowing exactly where they are, is all my cinema stubs of all the tickets that I had in the eighties. And I'm sure I could just bring out a, a you know, stub and say, um, you know, I went to see this and, you know, well, no, I, I never knew this. that. I that's, that's a new one for me. I didn't know. You, so you retained all the ticket stubs. All the ticket stubs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, you um, got to show me that next time I come down. Yeah, uh... But I don't, yeah. I mean, you can go through them and most the, the majority, the large majority of them are from the, um, Oh, can I say it? The UCI, the multiplex have opened up in the, uh, in the mid eighties in Telford. Um, yeah, we used to we used to go and watch whatever was on um, every week, near enough every week on on a, um, maybe Saturday night. Friday nights were going out. Uh, Saturday nights were for going out, but then you know we'd we'd go to the cinema as part of it, typically. And if we missed that, then we just went on Sunday afternoons mm-hmm. and just went and watched. We once did seven films in one day. Wow, that yeah. was a lot. We started at eleven o'clock at night. We finished at two o'clock in the morning. Eleven a.m. till two till two a.m. Yeah, no, we, fit, we fit in deep pan pizza for those people that remember that particular chain. Yes, we fit in a deep pan pizza in the middle of it. Uh, happy days, happy days, uh, happy days, yeah. really, really happy days. But yeah, do you want me to tell you about my new poster that, that I've had made? It is. I, I do. Yeah. So it's Back to the Future, but instead of Martin Fly looking at his watch. You know, the famous one day, you know, and one day he was, you know, he wasn't, he was late for classes. He was late for, it's a one day he wasn't on time, in time. Um, when he's looking down at his watch, I've had somebody commission. It didn't cost me an awful lot, I must say. So, yeah, I know you say austerity, what austerity, but it's something that I've wanted to do for quite a long time. And I bumped into an artist uh, online on social media and I got started talking and then I gave him the idea for it. Uh, and he mocked it. He he mocked up what he thought it might look like. Um, and I thought, yeah, okay, I want that there, that there. I want Eric Stoltz's leather jacket rather than Martin McFly's clothes. I want Eric Stoltz has how he looked, considering they filmed sixty five percent of the film with him in it. So there's all the, all with this reference. But he he sent me the um, the draft before he cleans it all up uh, earlier in the week and. I'm beyond impressed. I, I was just like, my goodness. So after this, I'll show it. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I'll give you a. Oh, you've got it. Yeah. A, yeah. A little sneak preview. Unfortunately, I can't do it for the. I'm going to keep it a little secret for, for everyone else. It's just going to appear. It's not going to be the size of the Ferris Bueller poster that's behind me for those that, that, that uh, watch online. But yeah, it's good. It's really good. I'll get a t shirt, a mug. Uh, Amanda is going to go, oh, God, Eric Stoltz. She can't stand <laughs> the fact. She, she can't stand the fact. And, and I'm, you know, we discussed this for those people that want to go back and listen to our Back to the Future when I did What If with Joe from um, WDWNT podcast. 
Um, when I did that, you know, back to the, uh, back to the future. I want to. I'd love to see the Eric Stoltz version because he wanted a darker ending, and he was right about the ending. And I'll still say he was right about the ending. But but would I want to see that being the definitive Martin McFly? Absolutely not, because Michael J. Fox is perfect. Well, I, I did. I did enjoy your "What If" pod, and, and I would like to see Christopher Walken as Doc. I think. I think. That's, oh, um, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Kids hiding under the bed. <laughs> it's like a Marty. Marty. Hey, I tell you what, I'd really like to see. I'd like to see Christopher Walken have done one of those British TV public safety announcements. Oh, good lord! Yeah, could have fitted right in. Yeah. <laughs> It's at um, it's at that moment that every time Christopher Walken's mentioned on the podcast, I'm sorry, I have to tell you to go to YouTube and to type in Christopher Walken on the Jonathan Ross show reading out Three Little Pigs. Um, it's one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen. I still remember to this day how how you read that. It's just perfect. It's not sinister, so don't worry. Even though it's Halloween time, well, can, can I can I just make a shout then? If we're doing Christopher Walken recommendations for him dancing in that fat boy slim. That's a good perhaps, shout. Perhaps slightly better known, but you know, still worth yep. checking weapon, out. Weapon you... of Choice, that was the title. So if you want to go That's and right. type Weapon of Choice. Who knew he could dance like that? Eh? Well, and he'll, who still does know? Yeah. <laughs> well, our, our list, our, our wonderful listeners now, man. Yeah, of course they do. They are wonderful. Anyway, um, we might be thinking of bombshell time, but we might be thinking of moving this back to an audio podcast rather than it being video. Um, we think we're just thinking about it because one of the things that I think I miss, and I genuinely do miss it, is being in the same room with the Mandra. If you go back and listen, so for example, for those of you just listening to this for the first time because you typed it in and you went, "All right, okay, it's Halloween too." Why are you looking for a Halloween a podcast about Halloween too? I'll never know. But if you stumbled on it because you're looking for Halloween, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. But if you go back and listen to like Iron Eagle. Or chances are, right at the start, when we were just finding our feet and hadn't done podcasts, there's a certain niceness about having anybody, if it was Don or Joe, I wish logistically we could all get together and sit around a table with our microphones and just make it make it happen. I just, I, I miss that. And uh, and I guess we did this because we thought the video might work. It hasn't taken off as much. The audio is very popular. The, 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 so maybe we just had to go back and weirdly, well, weirdly, if you go on YouTube, the one that's got the most views isn't a video podcast. It's our podcast of Prancer, which is the worst film that we've ever seen on this podcast. Yeah. Prancer got a one. I think I think Prancer got a two or a one. Okay. In fact, it would, it would have done if we were scoring at that time. It's the worst. It's the worst Christmas film I've ever seen. I think as some as a long time listener of your pod, long before I appeared on it, that I think the chemistry between you and Amanda is is you know one of my favourite things about the pod. So I would certainly vote for that. But yeah, your, your pod, your your rules, you decide. And you could, and then so for some podcasts, we'll bring our pod. Oh, I wish we could go up there. We can't because Amanda doesn't like hats. I would, we, we need to get us all together. I, well, I would, I would yeah, love I, that. I'm there. We should get Joe over to the UK, don't we? We, we can get Joe. A cheese and pickle sandwich. Oh yes, yeah. Table. Don't get into sandwiches with him. It's all. I've, I've been guest um, because some of the people can't make it on his podcast. I've been guesting on his. So if you do want to go and hear what I think about She-Hulk, oh please do because last Sunday's the the, the season finale review by me was probably my finest hour. Um, uh, what I think about Andor, I think about news in general. 
Um, it's WDWNT. Uh, it's the Nerd Alert podcast. If you type that into Google, I, I'm, I guess the, the guesting for the past three. So uh, I won't be able to this this time. But yeah, watch Andor. Don't bother with She-Hulk. Anyway, um, that's great. Um, I look forward to the next one. And, and I think what it is, is we genuinely, I'll do the next one with with Amanda. We'll probably revert back to sound if we can get it get it working with other people joining. So we might just do sound and then figure out a way to bring you all in, but me and Amanda facing each other. And I think I've logistically got to think about that, but I've got a bit of time there. Yeah, well, you just let me know. Yeah, I love yeah, we'll make it, we'll make it work. <laughs> I know. Yeah, well, for, for you, it's fine because you bought the microphone and you bought everything. So, yeah, we're all in a good place. Anyway, dear listeners, Lethal Weapon 2 coming, coming soon. Um, oh, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, sequels that are better than the original? Yeah, well, you'll find out. Anyway, um, it's goodbye for me. So, anyway, so cheerio from me. Bye bye, everyone. <laughs> He's not doing that next year. <laughs> Cheers. Bye.